Hi everyone, welcome to episode 33 of Pop Cult X. Hope you guys are having a great week this week. <laughs> Once again, I'm your co-host Daniel, and along with me, perpetually. Perpetually. <laughs> I'm Gabriel. Gabriel. <laughs> and I'm cursed. <laughs> Why are you cursed? For all eternity to be with you and Danny on this podcast. Yes. Yes, that is your curse to live forever and do this podcast with me once a week. Yes. I'm glad you find it a curse, not a blessing. So that's good. Blessing curse? Yeah. <laughs> a, there's a thin line, right, between a blessing and a curse. There is. I, I guess know. it all depends upon who this is coming from, right? And we'll see. One man's blessing is another man's curse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of curses and blessings, um, in Hot Topics, as of right now, is the whole debacle, which is the, what, Travis Scott concert mm-hmm. down in Texas? The Astral World, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we we kind of debated about whether or not we wanted to talk about it because obviously it's a really sad story. There were, I think, what, eight people that died due to mm-hmm. what they're calling mismanagement of the concert and not having enough security or safety precautions and measure. Really, when I heard the story, I kind of reflected back to when I was going to concerts when I was a kid. And I remember it being an issue that – where I'm from in, in Tucson, they actually stopped a lot of concerts that were like R&B and hip hop related because of the perceived risk associated with those that type of music. And I remember people like protesting and saying that it was like discriminatory um, in practice. But if you remember, I believe that it was like in New York, there was like a, I want to say Sean Combs concert where People were were trounced or um, you know is it called trounced? I don't know. Walked over, trampled. Kind of trampled. Yeah, I think I'm mixing words together. Trampled. And I remember being scared as a young person, like because I remember what it was like to be in like the front row and oh yeah, being and the surges on, and pushing, yeah, yeah, and like at certain points, like your chest starts to hurt because you're like up against the bar, and then being kind of thinking. Oh man, what what would happen if there was like an emergency or like I had to get out? Like it's pretty much impossible, and security isn't really helping you because they're there to protect the act. And it just reminded me of of, of how scary it is to be kind of young and in a situation where you're up against a crowd and not really knowing what to do. And so I felt really bad, and, and yeah. it's a really unfortunate event that occurred so my heart goes out to the the fam, you know friends and family of of the people that lost their lives and hopefully more precautions will be put in place so that yeah, things like this don't happen again i mean i guess i read that like live nation has a history of these sort of um mismanagements and mm-hmm. now i can't speak for it because i don't know what exactly what happened in this instance and in the past instances, but from the reports I read, I guess the police chief of Houston met with um, Travis Scott and his head of security team, and he addressed his concerns about the, I guess, crowd size or just the placement or whatnot. But I guess the thing that really bothered me about that was, isn't that the police chief's job or like the fire marshal's job is to either A, like you said, shut it down 
or you know limit the size of it so these these type of tragic instances don't happen mm-hmm. i mean is it really incumbent upon the artist or the artist management team who are performing at this venue to make sure that stuff like this doesn't happen i don't know i just i guess i was a little amazed that the head of police chief would say yeah i met with him and i said my concerns but he didn't do anything Right. And, and ultimately, isn't that who who is held responsible, the people that are put, put in place for, you know, city or counties, states, that 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 is their job to make sure right. that the safety measures are put into place. I know that Travis Scott is in particular is getting a lot of of pushback or, you know, a lot of negative attention right now. But I, I kind of think, you know, how is an artist responsible for what occurs at their concert? Mm-hmm. Obviously, like he's the talent. But he must employ someone, a manager, you know, roadie, you know, tour manager, someone who's in charge of that. I doubt that it is Travis Scott that's making the decisions. Right, of, exactly. This particular, I mean, obviously he's like the face of the tour or, you know, the event because he's the artist. But it's not like he's sitting there making those decisions because mm-hmm. as an artist, how would he know what safety – is necessary or what is what sort of precautions are are required so i think it's it's somewhat unfair for people to direct all of their anger towards him and holding him personally responsible when it's obviously a team like there are people that put on the events that you know i i don't know much about where it was held but i'm assuming that there's someone that probably facilitates that yeah exactly what's that oh i was just saying exactly you're right yeah and so where were they? Where were, where's the tour manager? Where are, you know, the securities? Obviously they paid someone to do security. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have to have, I'm sure paramedic and law enforcement there. So, and it's just, I, I think that with general mission, you're always going to have young people get really excited and rush towards the stage and want so just eliminate that. Have it all assigned seatings. I, I I used to love being in general admission when I was younger. Now it's more of like a hassle mm-hmm. because I don't want people to touch me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's, it's it would be nice to be able to have, you know, everyone really close to the stage. But obviously, due to the nature of young people, they don't really know what is safe and what's not safe and how to, you know, act like that and, and you know, and in public in, in a yeah. space like that. And so eliminate it. Yeah, exactly. Make it all mm-hmm. assigned and, and there's no rush to get in because you know where your seat is and you have to stay in that assigned area and that's it. You yeah. know, and you watch the concert from your seat. Exactly. Exactly. I yeah. mean, that's one way of limiting things like this from occurring. And yeah, just hopefully we can as a society, I guess, because there's also the the side of it where the people who are responsible for pushing, hopefully they learn a lesson too from this where, you know, I can't be doing this in a public event. I can't be doing this because it's something tragic might happen. So it's yeah. hopefully a learning curve for everyone involved. Yeah. I, I, there, there was another thing that is, I'm not a sports guy, so I don't know who the name is. Is it Aaron Rodgers? That's yeah. like in the media. So maybe you know more about it. Like yeah. I, I don't, I caught the story secondhand. So maybe you can go into what he did, but I caught it from his girlfriend or fiance's point, like what, how she, when she got involved, that's what got my attention. So maybe you can summarize what you know. of. How <laughs> he got so what I know of it, 
And okay, what I know of it really is so Aaron Rodgers, I guess he was asked if he was um, vaccinated and he said, mm-hmm. I'm immunized against COVID 19 because I guess players have to be vaccinated for the NFL or they risk fines or whatnot. And, and so he said he was immunized against it, meaning he was talking, you know, out of his ass because he didn't really get the vaccine. He built up antibodies. I guess he was following the, the Joe Rogan tr- plan of treatment for immunization, whatever the heck that is. I don't know. Yeah. But Terry Bradshaw, uh, you know, former NFL Hall of Famer, Pittsburgh Steeler, great quarterback and very opinionated. He said, no, you lied. You lied to us. You lied to America. And it's he really gave him a strong piece of his mind, which I appreciated because it needed to be said. And I'm glad yeah. someone said it on live TV that was that actually has a voice or opinion in that matter. Yeah. So the way I heard of it is I saw his fiance, who's an actress on, I think, an HBO show. Um, she was I, in, I think, a movie where it was like based on a book, like very Twilight. I don't really okay. I'm not super aware of her. I think her name is like Shailene or Raylene or Taylene or something like that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and like kind of swinging at the media saying like, you're trying to make this more than what it is. He, his, his statements are being, you know, misconstrued and, and taken out of context. And, and, and I think that looking at her Twitter, she is very opinionated, very vocal about certain issues. And I think that you can't have it both ways. You can't say, you know, oh, we're just an athlete. We're just an actress. Don't pay pay mind to what we say. But then, you know, just two months ago, you were saying, pay attention to me and what I have to say when it comes to this political, you know, this this particular issue that she was talking about. So you, you know, it, it's, it's funny for me that she's anti-media now all of a sudden when she's <laughs> been using it to her advantage for her career. And yeah, I get you can be upset that, you know, maybe things are getting blown out of proportion, but I, I tend to think that, uh, that when things like this happen, why don't they just kind of take a couple steps back, take a moment to like regroup, but stars who get caught in controversies a lot of times end up just kind of doubling down and mm-hmm. then not shutting up, mm-hmm. which it always kind of freaks me. You know, it, it, it shocks me that they don't have media people or handlers that say, okay, go take a long weekend, you know, <laughs> you know go relax with your mm-hmm. fiance. Don't go on Twitter. Don't make any more other comments and, you know, let, let the, the discourse die down and you'll come back to it if you need to. But, Let's just let it die down for a second. Yeah. But they tend to not do that. They no. they tend to like go to TMZ and just start making comments. And it's just like it's going to then it's going to it is going to get blown out of proportion and you're adding gasoline to the fire. Um, one of the things that you mentioned that that I when kind of looking into the issue is that Aaron said that he is educated, that he did his research, that he talked to Joe Rogan. And took his advice. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, the and great doctor, also, Joe Rogan. And I also talked to medical doctors. And, but the fact that you mentioned Joe Rogan first is like, it seems so unreal that Joe Rogan is, is taking the lead in this moment of pandemic expert and, Mm -hmm. you know, taking medication that's meant for animals. And 
it's just crazy to me that there's guys that are listening to him and I, I can't even imagine. It's like Howard Stern back in the day during his popularity, you know, peak of his popularity. He wasn't giving medical advice. No. Like, and, and now it's like the lines are blurred between people who have power because they have popularity and they have, you know, their opinion is listened to. But just stay in your own lane. Stay in mm-hmm. entertainment. Why are you getting involved in things that you don't know about? Even even on a personal level, if Joe Rogan decided, okay, for me, I'm not going to get vaccinated. Don't tell people. Know that that your voice matters and is going to have an impact on people. And know that you're not going to be able to express what you've researched. You know, let's say Joe Rogan, we take his word and has talked to numerous medical doctors, and they've made an educated decision for him, but is he going to be, is he eloquent and educated enough to then be able to reiterate what those doctors said for the mass audiences to understand it? No, he's going to give a filtered, dumbed down version. Mm-hmm. And then people listen to that. He, they're not going back to their doctors with that information and saying, oh, you know, this is what I heard from, a, you know, a, a podcaster or, you know, a media notorious, you know, comedian or whatever. And that's what's kind of scary. And that's what is is kind of sad with this day and age is that like i don't i don't go and look for like my favorite comic book artist and ask them what did you do regarding the vaccination <laughs> i'm gonna follow your lead <laughs> right right like, exactly how does it make sense that people are like turning towards the worst possible person for you to like if you want to start a podcast go ask joe rogan if you want to be safe and healthy maybe go talk to someone else Talk to your doctor. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It, it it cracked me up. Like I was just like, and then with the actress, his fiance, it's like I get you being loyal and you sticking up for your fiance, but like I said, maybe just take a beat, take a moment, and just let it die down. Because <laughs> you're now they're making fun of you. Now they're going to go dissect everything you say, and you could have you know made the choice to just be quiet and not mm-hmm. say anything. Mm-hmm. And not give them anything to to feed off. So, you know, it it's yes, the media is a monster, but like you can't expect to feed said monster and yeah. then not get bitten and not get involved in that whole mess. Like, give me a break. So, anyway, that that was the thing. <laughs> think- there, there was uh, you know some other controversies with some other famous people that. Um, on Twitter and on Instagram, um, one being Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we were talking off air about that. And I think that it, it, it sort of comes in into play with what we're talking about with Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, just briefly to summarize what he did is he he posted a picture of him and his wife, his wife like looking lovingly into his, his eyes and him looking mm-hmm. away from her towards the camera. And then basically posting what some consider a very misogynistic post saying, Oh, look at the way my wife is staring at me and really making it about him. It's about her birthday, but like, look at what she does for me. She does everything for me and I don't do anything for her. Um, And then specifically what really kind of pissed people off is that he said, you know, she gave me a a healthy baby girl and people took that in reference to his son from Anna Ferris, who Mm -hmm. he famously cheated on and and then divorced. And that child is 
considered to, I guess, have medical issues. So people thought that that was some like a little bit of a dig at Anna Ferris, like this wife gave me a healthy kid. I think that it, I don't think that he had um, any, you know, uh, evil sentiment when it came to that. I think that that's just normally what you say to yeah. a, a spouse, like, "Oh, you gave me a healthy baby, a, a healthy kid." Like, I'm so happy our kid is healthy. And I don't think in that moment he was thinking my other kid. Again, maybe you should have someone that is like your media person that writes those things for you. And then like, before you hit send, Chris, like, let me go ahead and read it through for you. Let me mm-hmm. get those typos and maybe say, yeah, this sounds a little weird. Like, why don't we delete that part or rewrite it so that people can't misconstrue it? They have the money to pay for those people. Yeah, I don't know why they don't do it. I, I honestly don't. Um, the other thing in it that that was, you know, kind of – you know, he likes to br- not brag, but he likes to bring up like him being a Christian now, and 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 it rubs people the wrong way, wrong way because like I guess I don't know if it's fact or not, but like it the conversation is that he cheated on his first wife, and now he's just like you know Jesus this that and the other, and so it comes off as a little hypocritical, and it's like just talk about your movie or like put your account on private <laughs> and just. Let- like, do you really need your fans to see every in and out moment of your your life? That's the thing, though, with social media. It's that double-edged sword there. So you want to yeah. stay relevant, right? So you need to showcase more than just what you're acting or your movie that you're promoting because it's not just pure promotion. You're also selling yourself, right? So that means the, yeah. the more intimate look behind the curtains of your life. Unfortunately, you said that he, maybe he should get a proofreader or someone to gloss yeah. over it before he posts it. But at the same token, it's it it's it's less authentic that way. I think maybe. And yes, the good comes with the bad. If you do, uh, yeah, if you do something idiotically like my healthy child, because that was something maybe he should have considered more about. I think the rest of the post was, you know. That's fine if that's his family. I've forgotten about that part, the healthy child part. And that, yeah. when I read that, that was like, ooh, that can be construed the wrong way. I mean, like you said, it probably wasn't any ill intent to it, but just the fact that people could read read it the way they wanted to see it and see it as a dig at Anna Ferris and his other child with her. And it's just, eesh, that was kind of cringy. Yeah. And it I, I I think that when people get to a certain level of stardom, it, it gets kind of cringy for me that they use social media so much because you've already got the fans. You've already got the ads. <laughs> like I, I could see like, you know, regular people who go to Instagram and they, they get their kicks off of people liking it and they get a little bit of a feedback and it's cool. But like it, I, I like I like stars like Angelina Jolie that like keeps the mystery about their life. Okay. They keep it private. Mm-hmm. You don't see pictures of her with like her kids on Twitter and Instagram, and it, it just for me it keeps a mystique and a, uh, a mystery about her that always intrigues me and makes me want to learn more about her by watching okay. her movies or mm-hmm. you know she reads you know makes a statement or a book and then so it, it creates that more of a demand for me to want to see more from her versus someone that is just like oversharing at every single moment and it's like <laughs> okay i get it well I, um, on the other edge of that just sorry to cut you off there but um 
So I think maybe it's a way of them taking back the power from like the paparazzi or from like the TMZs of the world who are going to run stories about them that may or may not be factual. So they go ahead and they showcase what their life is because it's, it's, um, they want to get it out there from their point of view. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's, about, um, Robert Downey Jr. also posted a picture with his wife and he was like putting a crown on her head or something like that, fake crown. And I thought, oh, that's a nice picture. That's a nice sentiment that way. So yeah. just, uh, you know, kind of weigh the differences between the two. Well, and, and that to me is a normal sentiment that you would give to someone for their birthday. And I know that he's within the realm of comedy. I don't think he's like, Chris Pratt is like a comedian, mm -hmm. but that's how he got his start is like yeah. in roles that were comedic yeah. in a sense. So I get that he's trying to be funny and sarcastic and the wife probably gets his sense of humor. But again, you're not sharing it with your wife. You're sharing it with the mm -hmm. world. Exactly. And it comes off as very misogynistic. You know, his mother-in-law, Maria Shriver, you know, posted underneath the, the picture like, oh, that's really cute. Now share a picture of you looking at her like that, meaning, you know, oh, she's so devoted to you and looks at you lovingly. Now you do the same. And ultimately, <laughs> Maria Shriver made a comment in support of him yeah, and saying, you know, yeah. we love you. You're a great son-in-law, blah, blah, blah. But in the moment she did, I mean, she's an intelligent person. She realized how it came off. And he should have done that. He mm -hmm. should have saw that once people started reacting and there was a ton of people reacting that he could have gone in and edited and said, look, it was a joke. Like, I love my wife. Like, I just I what I was trying to convey is that she does so much for me and she gets so little back. Not that I don't do anything back because she doesn't deserve anything, but she's just a very giving person. And and, you know, and yeah. That would have been kind of a sweet sentiment, but it came off very like narcissistic and arrogant. <laughs> and maybe you don't want that as like a leading mm -hmm. man. And I don't, it, it, it just, it was kind of weird. I'm not a big fan of his anyway, because he goes to a, a church that is um, kind of homophobic and yeah. still believes in conversion therapy, which is a total like, <laughs> I can't, I'm in shock that that still exists to today mm -hmm. and that, that he would find that that would be okay. Um, so that makes me not a fan of his. So I'm like not looking forward to anything that he comes, you know, that he's going to be in. Um, I probably will see the new Guardians of the Galaxy because I love <laughs> Saldana or Saldana as she is correctly yeah. named. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of his now. So you won't be watching anyway, the Garfield movie or Super Mario Brothers movie? <laughs> I actually love Garfield, one, okay. but I, I loved the comic strip when I was a kid. Like, I mm -hmm. used to read those books, like, all the time. Yeah, I had, like, a yeah. ton of them. You remember they were, like, the Jim Davidson ones like this? Yeah. Yeah. And I used to have, like, so many volumes of those, and I would, like, crack up. Like, I that was, like, my any character that has a like sarcastic smart ass like daffy duck <laughs> like i loved it because i was like me i love that and and uh and and so I, I i don't i'm not a fan of the movies because i don't think they capture that sensibility all that well uh i did like the cartoon i think when i was a kid when it came out yeah i'm not gonna go rush out and see it but um i think that the super mario thing i think if they try to do it as a humor I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be all that great. I mean, it, Chris Pratt is playing a humorous Mario. movie. He's playing Mario. 
Yeah. So Mario is what? Short and Italian and older. And Chris Pratt is none of those things. I mean, I guess yeah. he's older because he's getting old. But <laughs> I, well, I, I don't mean, know. Maybe they should have got someone that fits that bill a little bit better. Well, it's animated, think, right? It's going to be animated. Oh, so. is it? Yeah, he's just doing the voice. So is he going to have like a fake Italian accent or like a New York accent? I have no idea which way they're going to roll with it. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. But speaking again uh, about, you know, I mentioned Angelina Angelina Jolie and how like intrigued I am by her and and I love her. Uh, I saw The Eternals this weekend, of course, like I rushed out to see it. (laughs) Um, And obviously we've talked about the controversy that a lot of people were bitching and moaning about it, the diverse cast. So just to share my experience with you and with our audience, I went in with really high hopes. Like I love the cast. I have to admit that when I first saw Makari, who is the deaf actress that is playing Mm -hmm. the eternal, who is, you know, hearing impaired and she first signed and another character like signed back to her and they communicated I kind of got the chills. Like I was like, it was, it was such a cool moment, like to see some, to see that on and film in like a heroic way. And I just thought, God, how impactful and how powerful it must be for people who are hearing impaired to be able to see that. I, I, I love seeing Salma Hayek on the screen, like in a a hero capacity and, and leader of the Eternals. Um, I love Angelina Jolie, so of course I loved seeing her and all the other characters. I would say like the main role is probably Cersei, who is played, I don't know her name, but she's an Asian English actress. Having like the lead role played by an Asian actress and not being, you know, the exotic love interest, like just being a superhero and the lead is great. Having an African-American gay person in a hero capacity also was amazing. Um, There's a moment in the movie where, you know, not spoiling it for anyone, but he shares like an intimate moment with his husband in the film and they sort of embrace and kiss. And apparently Disney got some communication from some Muslim countries, I think like Saudi Arabia. Yeah, heard like about that. If you want us to play this film, you have to edit this out. Mm-hmm. Like we're not going to show it with two men kissing. And Disney was like, okay, well fuck off. We're not going to edit it. Like it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need your money. Exactly. And I love that, that Disney did that. Like I, like I really like that. What's interesting to me though, is that there is a, a love, like an actual like sex scene in the movie and the two characters are like semi-naked. You can't see anything because it's still a Disney film, but there's some nudity. Like, I mean, not when I say nudity, like there it's implied nudity, I guess. They were they were okay with that. So like where's <laughs> your like strong religious conviction when it comes to seeing, you know, two people having sex on the beach? Like it you're so it's situational, like it's pick and choose. So like, that's why I always like kind of have to call bullshit on religious people Mm -hmm. because you pick and choose your, like Mm -hmm. the stuff. And it's like, if you're going to be like high and mighty and want to be all religious and by all means be, go ahead, but then don't be like, okay with some things and then try to like get an invite to the party. Like if you want to be an outsider and be weird and like, 
religious, like do that, but like do it and be the loner in your house and not <laughs> pretend to be female. Because that's like, like be Amish. Like I respect Amish people. This is a tangent, but I respect Amish people so much because they're like one of the few people that like they stick to their guns. Yeah, they're like, true. this is our beliefs. Mm-hmm. We're going to live out here in the country. We're not going to have electricity. We're not going to talk to you guys. We're going to go in and get groceries, but we're not going to mingle with you guys. And we're going to mind our business, stay in our lane. And they do it. Yeah. They've been doing it for like forever. And you don't, you know, and some people lose, like lose their faith and they leave and that's fine or whatever. But like the people that like stay in it, like they stay in it. You don't mm-hmm. see people like taking off their Amish garb and like going and partying in the city and, and having like, and putting it back. And, like, then pretending to be religious, like on Sunday, yeah. Yeah. Like, they stick to their guns and like good, better and different. Like at least they do what they say versus other religious people that are like, oh, well, I can that do one. this and that one, but I'm not going to do that. that and I'm going to put those people down. Yeah. Like it's so annoying, but the movie's amazing. And I'm like going off on some other stuff, but like the movie's really good. The plot is really interesting. Special effects are good. Um, each of the characters, I think, has their own little moment where they get to shine, which is really cool. I was going to ask about uh, that because there is so the yeah. cast is so large. So uh-huh. was there? I'm sure there wasn't an equal amount of time character development for each of them. But I read that they were given enough to know their story where it didn't need yeah. more time. They, I mean, they're it's it's mcu right so they plant stuff so you know that yeah. there's going to be another one you know that there's an end of the credit the like end of the credit scene um so you know that kevin Feige's going to like it's all part of a master mm-hmm. plan so you know that this character if they have like a small role more than likely they're going to pop up somewhere else mm-hmm. so like you know, maybe, uh, you know, Nebula, in, when she first appeared in Garden of the Galaxies, it wasn't that big of a role. But yeah. look at how her character developed and how she, like, really got into it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a tease. Like, you, there are parts that you're like, oh, I wish I could see more Angelina because I'm a big fan of hers or whatever. But then you're like, well, this is just the beginning. Like, this is to entice you and to introduce the character. And then we're going to see her um, down the line in, in future MC, MCU stuff. So it, it sets the tone. I think that it it does a good job of like you wanting more. And um, I look forward to more. I think that the characters, the, the box office turnout was great. Yeah. I think that that proves that, that audiences do prefer to have, you know, I don't say prefer. Let's say that they they do support having diversity when it comes to representation in films. And I, I'm so glad to see that that occurred and that there was a good turnout. Um, reviews are still mixed, which is fine. Like not everyone has to love every movie that comes out. Exactly. But I just wanted people to give it a chance. I, I mm-hmm. didn't want people to write it off based off of racism, homophobia, or like ableism. I just wanted them to be able to form an opinion based off of the actual film. Mm-hmm. And not your prejudice. And so um, I probably will go see it again. It's a really good movie. Um, I recommend it to anyone that hasn't seen it. Um, go check it out. I'm excited what the characters are <laughs> going to be bringing in the future. Uh, so, yeah, it was really cool. That's cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it at some point down the line. Like, yeah. like um, this coming week, I think Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings is going to be finally released on Disney+. Plus. So I'll finally get oh, to watch nice. that. So I'm a little nice. behind, but catching up. Hey, I mean, it, 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 that one was really good too. Like I, 
I I didn't expect to like Shang Chi as much as I did, and it, it's a really great film. I, I didn't expect to like Black Widow as much as I did, mm-hmm. and I think that they were Eternals, Black Widow, Shang Chi. Like they're all sort of like variants of of like the formula that MCU has come up with. And but I was ready for different stories. I'm like kind of over Iron Man. I'm tired <laughs> yeah, of like right, right. that whole scene and so like i was glad that there was like new blood like that there was like some fresh things that were coming to screen because it, it i mean it has been a long time that we've been sitting on these these characters and seeing them you know in other different adventures which i'm not complaining i loved it i loved all of it um but i am glad that we're starting to see new things happen yeah definitely speaking of seeing new things happen so i watched yeah. a few things myself this past weekend um real briefly i watched the uh, first two episodes of big mouth season five now oh, we've nice. talked about big mouth on the show before this just picks right up where it left off and it is so hilarious it's you know you know over the top humor it's just wow. but it is so funny i was laughing my butt off it was just so funny and it's <laughs> there's just I have to go back and watch it because they have so many different references to lots of different shows. I know they do like a whole Seinfeld um, spinoff thing at the very beginning where they're in like a diner and they're all around the table and talking. It's just, oh, it's so funny. Nick Kroll and his whole team, I think with um, Andrew Goldberg, I think, or whoever his other writing partners. What's that? Oh, never mind. I, I mentioned someone else, but I'm wrong. Oh. And it's, it's, just, it's just so phenomenal. And I'm, I'm gonna, I didn't want to binge it because I want to enjoy it. And it's yeah. just so I'm watching an episode every couple of days or something, but it, and it's just so funny. So if you like the raunchy, comedic, you know, um, late night comedy shows and out and humor, go watch this. It is so funny. It really is. Yeah. yeah, I saw. So I saw that it came out and I watched the first episode kind of like parts of it. And I just love the characters. Like, it's so funny. It's so teenage life mm-hmm. and like brutally honest. And the I forget his name, but like the old hormone monster that's like all gross. Mor- no, like, not Maury. Um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, like he when he's just like try like he's like kind of harassing the kid to like to make a move, and and then the the kid's like, "Oh, you're my hormone monster. You're gonna pay attention to what I say." And then he's like, "I'll fucking kill you." And he's like, "What? What'd you say?" Like it just I, I don't know. It's hilarious. I love. <laughs> The hormone monsters, they just make me laugh. Like Maya Rudolph is a genius. I love mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the like the spin on the characters, like the nerdy girl and the like bisexual Armenian kid. Like it's just it's it's so refreshing, but it's like because we've seen like the the like uh raunchy high school comedies before, like Porky's yeah. and American Pie, but mm-hmm. like they made this is like such a fresh take on it that it's really funny. And the fact that it's animated, of course, like makes it funnier. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I can't wait to watch the rest of it. I think I have to go back and watch some older season just to refresh my memory of what's going on. But in a way, it's kind of like you can pick up any time because, you yeah. know, with it, they're dealing with hormones and being a teenager. So it's like you don't really have to watch. You know, you can kind of watch it whenever. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's really it's really funny. Watch watch episode two. This song that they do in there is just it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, that's so, one of my favorite episodes is the one where they do with the ghost of Freddie Mercury. Mm. They do such a good job like getting his voice down. Like the voice actor that did that, I was like shocked. I was like, he really sounds like Freddie yeah. Mercury. Yeah. Which is I mean, crazy that 
they can do that. But yeah, I, I love that show. What was the the other thing that you watched? I watched a movie also on Netflix, uh, The Harder They Fall, which is um, oh, nice. by I think the director and writer name is Jameis Samuel. And it's it's a great movie. So it focuses around um, cowboys and it's okay. So I guess it's the first thing they put on there is that these people existed. So it's based on real life cowboys. Maybe their whole story is fictional, but the actual people existed in the old West, which I thought was just fascinating. And it made me want to go learn more about their characters. Now with the cast, like Jonathan Majors, Azzy Betts, um, who else? Uh, Idris Elba, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, um, Regina King, And it's just a power packed bunch. And it was, it was just great. I mean, it really was, I'm not a big Western fan. I mean, think my biggest favorite Western film is tombstone, but this just, um, above that, it is just so great. It, it is a bit, um, violent, but I guess the old yeah. West, it was violent. So it was, it, it, it had its, um, I, when I was watching it, I kept comparing back to like tombstone, like I said, and it's just, yeah. It had its moments where, like, you know, in Tombstone where um, Val Kilmer is like, I'm your Huckleberry. So it had, like, that tension build moments like that. And it was just – it was just so great. But I think the standout to me was um, Keith Stanfield's character of Cherokee Bill. From the moment he entered the screen, he just commanded that – the attention. And to me, it was like all eyes were on him. He's – his yeah. performance was just standout. I mean, everyone else was great, but to me, I wanted to learn more about who Cherokee Bill was. So I went back and just did some research on him, and it's just fascinating. And the the soundtrack is another thing. The soundtrack is just awesome. So it and it really fits with the movie itself, like as most soundtracks do. But I mean, it really just adds another. It's like another character. It's just it's just phenomenal. So highly yeah. highly recommend if you haven't seen it, go watch. The harder they fall. Yeah, I I am really excited. I've heard a lot of things about it, and I'm really interested for that spin on the Western of it being based more in reality, because the fact is that that our history has people of color in the Wild mm-hmm. West, and it's been so ignored. And I think that that's yeah, why that's I hate Westerns, is because growing up in the Southwest, like in specifically in Tucson, and being so close to t- Tombstone, and knowing more about like Southwest history and knowing that people of color took, you know, really had a huge impact on Mm -hmm. the building of the West and specifically in my home state of Arizona. And then seeing movies like Tombstone and it being like Lily White and (laughs) it just kind of offended me. I was like, I, first of all, I hate Tombstone. That's like one of the films that I literally hate. (laughs) I can't stand it. I think it's the cheesiest, (laughs) corniest, I, I can't even tell you. Yeah, how I can see I that. But... My eyes, like, people in Arizona loved that movie. People like had signs of "I'll be your Huckleberry" in their house, like <laughs> pictures of Val Kilmer, Doc Holliday, <laughs> tattoos. Like I literally want to throw up when I see things related to Tombstone. <laughs> and, and again, because like I, it just it's offensive <laughs> to me in the fact that like I know from a personal like perspective that my family had a lot to do with the building of Arizona and Tucson specifically again. And, and it's just ignored in films. Like Mm -hmm. it, cowboys are just all white. Like where are the indigenous people? Where are the Mexicans? Where are the African-American people? We were there. Mm -hmm. Like 
look look at the names of the cities. Like they're not white people names. Like all the missions and all like it just it's astounding. Like that. I think what Young Guns had Lou Diamond Phillips, who's Filipino, playing like a Native American indigenous person. So like they tried to have that piece of like diversity. That's the only thing that I could ever think of that they've tried to have like a spotlight on on the role that people of color had in Westerns. But other than that, like people think of the Wild West as like white cowboys. Yeah, and it's such bullshit. That's very true. Like it's such bullshit like and the thing that i was thinking about is like where do you think that people learned how to be cowboys it was from the vaqueros that were mexican mm-hmm. they, they didn't come over from england wearing cowboy hats and cowboy boots <laughs> and that's like, true when the settlers the moved west they didn't know how to survive out there so where do they learn it from yeah. right yes and so it just, so that's why i hate westerns because of that of that like rewriting of history and focusing on like straight white men as all as always in in everything so to see that like people are like you know what let's tell these stories that actually exist like that are real life characters we're not making it up we're not recasting we're not doing it for diversity's sake this is actual mm-hmm. history like these people mm-hmm. really existed um one of the characters or people in history that i'm really fascinated by is this african-american woman i believe she was a former slave and became like a stagecoach driver and like at 60 like imagine being 60 and being such a badass that you start to become a stagecoach driver like with her shotgun so like obviously fighting off like people that were trying to rob her and being able to like handle her own i forget what city she eventually kind of did as her home base but because she was a former slave, she didn't know what her actual birthday was. But because she was so revered, the city celebrated it two times a year. And and I thought, where is that story? Like, where is that movie based on those people? Like, I, I don't want to see another Kevin Costner movie with him, you know, playing some stupid cowboy. And like, show me some more of the accurate history. People are all about accuracy and, you know, um, making sure that the movies are specific to history. Well, why can't we have accuracy when it comes to Wild West movies then? Mm-hmm. Like, we're, we're uh, I, I could go on. Like, it's, it's so, it's so <laughs> frustrating. But, but, and the thing that's annoying is that people grow up seeing that stuff. Then they begin to think that that's reality. That that mm-hmm. that's and then so then when they see a movie that's about African Americans, the Wild West, they're like, "Oh, I roll!" Like, why did they yeah, have to do one with true. all black cast? Like, they're just doing that to be woke. Um, no, actually, idiot. Like, why don't you educate yourself and see that those people actually existed mm-hmm. and had a huge impact on American history? But like everything, like we rewrite history and and it's not even rewriting. It's like when history was written, they just ignored all people of color and the impact that we had on history. Yeah. And the older I get, the more it infuriates me because it impacts the way white people view people of color. Like if you are, are raised not seeing the contributions that groups of people have had, on history, then you think that they're like losers. You're like, oh, they haven't, and and that's where you see right racist, misogynistic people. Like, well, if it wasn't for us, America would be nothing. We built, and it's like no backup because actually the reality is that people of color had a huge 
impact one free labor that you didn't have to pay for in mm-hmm. in the form of slavery but also when people became free they became these really productive members of society and like created inventions and built cities and architects and engineers and the the impact that latinos had in the country but let's pretend that that didn't happen because then it makes you feel better about your the narrative exactly. you're trying to create Mm-hmm. And so if you're like, so I encourage like every single filmmaker, writer, like create more stories about people of color in, in the settings that are unexpected. Like, I don't want to see another immigrant story. Like I appreciate those stories, but like, let's see those other stories. Like the thing that I think that it, within the Latino community that is really hasn't been touched upon is like how much Latinos are into rock and roll. And they like never talk about that. There isn't like a punk Mexican movie. There isn't a punk, like a Mexican Chicano skater movie, even though there's like legendary skateboard skateboard artists that are Mexican American. Like, why don't we tell their stories or, you know, or people that are artists that are African American or are Hispanic or Latino Latinx. Why don't we have more movies about them? Like, do that make those movies because we exist in all facets of culture and pop culture but it's so ignored yeah and the stories are so interesting but you have to like it's so hard to have to find it and research it and like seek it out yourself it should be part of mainstream pop culture Mm -hmm. because it's been ignored for way too long i agree it has and and i think you said it best when you said that people grow up seeing these predominantly whitewashed stories and then they think that that's, that's all there was when it's not the case. And yeah, yeah, like even with this movie, I didn't realize, like you said, growing up with Westerns that were all whitewashed. Wow. There was people of color as cowboys back then. I had no idea. So I am very thankful to Jameis Samuel for taking the time to research these characters and to bring it to the big screen for everyone to else to enjoy. And the fact that it is a great movie is just bonus. So, yeah. Well, I think that that's what, what people don't appreciate is that like, they feel like that watching movies like this is like homework. Like they're like, Oh, I have to sit through some woke PC movie, like learning about history from a African-American perspective. But it's like, no, you're watching like some of the greatest actors and actresses do a fictionalized retelling of actual history. And it's entertaining as fuck. Like mm-hmm. have fun, watch it. It's not boring. It's not exactly. uh, a chore to do, like give it a chance. Like, just like you watch Kevin Costner's like 18th boring ass movie. Why don't you watch <laughs> I, Can you tell I can't stand him? Um, <laughs> give it, give those other actors a chance to like their films mm-hmm. and because they're really good and they're really talented and it's entertaining yeah. and it's not a tour. It's not something that you should have to force yourself to sit through because at the end of the day, you should, it's going to be entertaining. You're going to mm-hmm. be entertained. Definitely. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of being entertained, since we're on the topic of that, um, I challenge yeah. you. Well, we mentioned it last week, so I kind of challenge you this week. Let's talk about some some comedies that are of the cult classic variety. So I, I wrote down just a 
brief, um, I found a description of what a cult classic, a cult comedy movie is. Just yeah. so, you know, just to put a, a little bit of more of a, a wrapper around what we're talking about. So, like, the best cult comedy movies come in many forms and they span across decades. Some good cult, cult comedies are silly, over-the-top, while others feature dry, sarcastic humor. Many of the best cult comedies were more often than not box office bombs, but that grew in popularity over the time and have a really distinct following um, amongst their... I guess, passionate fans, hence the cult yeah. portion of it. So what, um, when you think of cult comedy movies, Gabe, what, what comes to mind for you? Is there any like specific, maybe three or four that you say, yeah, those are ones that I really enjoy. Yeah. I, when I think of movies that I really enjoy watching and I think that they're cult classics, I kind of think of movies that are probably a little bit on the silly side that are not like intellectual <laughs> movies that you don't have to think a lot about. And I immediately think of like all of the Adam Sandler films. So like mm-hmm. Big Daddy, mm-hmm. Billy Madison, um, Happy Mr. Deeds. Yeah. 51st Dates. Like he did such a great like series of films that are ridiculously stupid, but I could sit down and watch them and like laugh and it just cracks me up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Waterboy probably being my favorite of all yeah. of his comedy films. I just the like the actors in it, Kathy Bates and Feruza Balk are like two of my favorite people in the world. Like they're amazing. Mm-hmm. And they were and Henry so Winkler too. Playing, like Cajun swamp people. And like and like the fact that they wrote a, a movie about that like segment of the community of like Cajun swamp folk that like one of them <laughs> is just really like an idiot savant, like really great at football and doesn't know it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, is really naive and innocent and it's just such a good movie. It, it makes like, I, if it comes on, like I will watch it at any point yeah. during the film and it'll crack me up. I love it. It's such a good film. Um, the other one that I think is not as like, wasn't that popular. So it kind of fits that definition of not necessarily a box office smash was Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like not the smartest. I mean, it's smart in the fact that it's like tongue in cheek, right? They're yeah. like two yeah. smart actresses. Mira Sorvino and Lisa Kudrow are like geniuses in real life. Like they're both in really, mm-hmm. really intelligent and they're both playing like dumb characters, but that's like the that's like part of the humor is that they're playing people that are so dumb but like have a really incredible like have a heart deep down yeah. and they're making fun of the like shallow materialistic people of LA and I think it came out around like that Paris Hilton moment and the like the one liners in the film are just hilarious for me. Again, they're like making fun of Tucson, Arizona, which I'm where I'm from again. <laughs> so like I love that movie came out that was making fun of Tucson and showing Tucson being a bunch of like hillbillies and small minded people. And I was like, I was pleased with that. <laughs> and so um that's one of my all-time favorite again like just for the little quotes that that are from the movie Janine Garofalo Justin Theroux in it Mira Savino and Lisa Kudrow comedic geniuses um Alan Cumming is in it mm-hmm. there, I mean there's a ton of different great actors and actresses in it that are hilarious in the movie um what about you what are some of yours 
Well, a few of mine, like um, first one I thought of it was like Army of Darkness, which is like the third installation of the Evil Dead series. Now, yeah. so it's, it's, I guess you could say it's kind of a blend of comedy horror, but for me, it was pure comedy. I, I didn't really yeah. see any horror in it. Yeah, there were skeletons in an army of evil dead, whatever. But for me, it was just funny. Bruce Campbell is just phenomenal in that role that he's reprised so many different times. And it's just, it's one of those movies that is, um, it grows on you, I think, the more you see it. And I think it has a following of many people that will just watch it, you know. And it's... Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I can quote different things from it, you know, when he's saying the magical words and he messes them up many times, Necronomicon, whatever it is. It's just, yeah. it's just so hilarious to me in that movie. Um, another one of mine that I enjoyed was uh, Dazed and Confused. So that's oh, yeah. a, a 1993 movie that it's about, it's a coming of age comedy. And it has a lot of stars in it, actually, that when they were first starting out. So there's like um, Ben Affleck, Mila Jovovich, Parker Posey, Adam Goldberg, Matthew McConaughey, and many others. And it's just, you know, it follows the day in the life of these high school kids that are either starting school or just graduating. And it's just, you know, it really tells their story. And it's, I recently just saw it for the first time, I think maybe last year. And it was, it was really what? good. I really appreciated that movie. Wow. Yeah, I, I can't believe that you just saw it. Like yeah. I, that's <laughs> another of my favorite films. Like the cast is amazing. There's so many people that Matthew McConaughey famously, like I think that was one of his first roles, and mm -hmm. became like a star after that. All right, all right, uh, all right. <laughs> what and uh, what's his name? Andy Sandberg, I think Goldberg, is his name. He also, what's that? Goldberg. And yeah, Goldberg. Yeah. Um, Anthony Rapp from Rent is in that mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. uh, what's her name? Rabisi. Um, I can't think of her name. Her last name's Rabisi, but like the curly red hair actress. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, she's her brother is Giovanni Rabisi. Yeah, Giovanni Rabisi. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Mila Jovovich is in it. Um, tons of people. Anyway, but the one-liners in that movie are hilarious. It, it just reminds me so much of high school. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like like the the scene where like the nerds are like driving in the car and like oh what do you want to do that was like so realistic to my <laughs> yeah. experience that it's not even funny uh, <laughs> and uh it's just a great like slice of life super realistic super funny because it's high school and teenage years are ridiculously funny. Mm -hmm. Like you looking at like being in the moment, you're terrified and you're like, I'm never going to get through this. But looking back, it's like the most ridiculous time in yeah. your life. Yeah. And it's so funny. Uh, Parker Posey is like my favorite character in that. She's just like the Uber bitch. That's like <laughs> terrorizing the freshman. Uh -huh. my like, Wipe that face off your head. And, and, uh, I just, I love her. I love her in that movie. She's so great. Uh, she's, I think she's like one of the most underrated actresses ever. I mm. I'm such a fan of Parker Posey. There's a movie called party girl that she's in. If you haven't seen it, mm. you have to watch it. Okay. It's so good. It, it's basically sort of a sequel to, uh, breakfast at Tiffany's where like, it's, it's kind of like, she's, Holly Golightly, Holly Golightly's daughter. Oh, and okay, interesting. She's sort of like a party girl, and she needs she has like a reality check and has to like get a job, and it, it's sort of like that like '90s club 
kid culture and it's so good if you haven't seen it like definitely stream it it's such a good movie parker poser parker posey is a genius i love her so much <laughs> uh, she's just i could watch anything that she does yeah she's amazing <laughs> she's up there with like maya rudolph and like just people that like i love like okay. i would love to be her friend <laughs> <laughs> yeah when you want to be their friend i mean that's i think that's the highest you know like yeah um, like isn't there like stars that like you see them and you're like i would love to be their friend like mm-hmm. i want to have them in my life or vice versa i agree yeah, i know what you mean yeah people. parker posey is one of those people that was like I would love to be able to call her. <laughs> I want to hang out Hello, with Parker. Her. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> or is it text <laughs> nowadays? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, another, it's not really a movie, but it's more of a series. It, it was a, a single season series of freaks and geeks. Now that's uh, another huge cast of like Seth Rogen, Jason Siegel, Linda Cardellini, Martin Starr, um, James Franco, created by Paul Feig and um, Judd Apatow. And it's yeah. another one that I saw, I think, maybe a year and a half, two years ago for the first time. And it's just phenomenal. Another look at um, Slice inside a high school life that it just, you know, one season was far too short for that show. And it, it has its own cult following now. And it's just, it's just yeah. so great. I didn't want it to end. I didn't want to watch the last episode because I knew that once I watch it, that's it. There's no other. There's no more to watch. And so, yeah. it was really cool. I really like that show. Yeah, I I could actually see you being in a Judd Apatow film. Like you're Jewish, <laughs> like check mark on that list. You and go. you know, like I think it'd be really fun to be in one of his films, mm-hmm. like from an actor's point of view, because I think they do a lot of like riffing and like yeah. Uh, ad-libbing and they looks like they just have a lot of fun yeah i just recently was like re-watching for like the million million time 40 year old virgin and it's so funny it's like ridiculous like it's just (laughs) the most stupid movie but it's so funny Uh, i was re-watching this scene where where they're talking about hooking up with women and, and the guy that plays a virgin is like yeah you know when you touch their boobs and it's like like sand and they're like, what? what? And they're like, yeah, it's like sand. And they're like, have you ever touched breasts before? <laughs> yeah, like hundreds of times. Like, it was crazy. It's just, it just so stupid. It's so funny. I love that. I was just watching the clip where um, Kevin Hart comes in and he wants the, the I guess, a return or on the warranty or something like that when he's trying. And it's just, yeah. just hilarious. That movie's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about like tons of stars in it that like, you know, Jane Lynch is like in a supporting mm-hmm. role and she like really blew up after that. Um, who the guy that plays Ant Man, I forget his name. Paul Rudd is in it, right? Paul Steve Carell. Yeah. Yeah. It's so many good, good people. I, I love the ending where like they finally hook up and have sex and then like she's like, Are you okay? And he's like breaks out into like uh the fifth dimension song and like then they like turn into hippies and they're all dancing and singing it's so stupid <laughs> <laughs> i think judd apatow movies are fantastic like that would like and then knocked up and then like um this is 40 so i i, yeah. I think they were he was asked like when are you going to make this is 50 you know like the continuation of paul rudd's character is like yeah. well when paul rudd starts to look like he's aging we'll make this is 50 because i guess that's the whole joke yeah. that he's like a, like looks like a vampire and doesn't age yeah which is odd for a white man because typically they 
And they, they age like spoiled milk. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they just that start to smell. Another movie that I love within that that group of guys. Uh, I forget. It's Paul Rudd, and where he like doesn't have a best friend. And then what's that movie called? Yes. Uh, oh goodness, it's with um, Jason Segel as well. It's um, yeah. I love you, man. I love you, man. That's yeah. probably another. I think that it doesn't get justice as being like hilarious, mm-hmm. but it's one of my favorite films. I think it's so funny. Yeah, and I think I think like a lot of those. I think that group of people. Why it appeals to me is like it's such our generation. Yeah, it is. Like it. It's not like nineteen-year-old humor. It's like 30, 40 year old Some things that like are sort of, you know, maybe haven't made their way in the world yet, and they're like kind of older and so like that's part of the joke but it, it, i don't know i just think it it speaks specifically to our generation it, and I, I think that that's why i like them so much it it's does really like characters i mean i think it's the humor that we grew up with so we live those life events that they're going through at the yeah. same time that those characters would have went through those life events so either we can relate to what they went through or we can relate to the fact that we're going through what they are going through right now so I think that's yeah. what makes it humorous to us. I like that part of the movie where, because Jason Siegel doesn't pick up his dog's poop and then Lou Ferrigno yeah. steps in it. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, run! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie's just, that movie's funny. That's, I forgot about that movie. That movie's hilarious. Yeah. It, it, I, I, now it, it's actually making me want to go watch it right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Some of the other movies that I just listed, but I won't get into too much, were just like Spaceballs, um, Shaun of the Dead, Monty Python yeah. and the Holy Grail, Big Trouble in Little China, Office Space. Um, of course, the quintessential cult classic movie would be Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then a movie I've never seen, which I want to see, is This is Spinal Tap. I've never seen that either. Yeah, I, I have, for whatever reason, never seen it, but it's... It's it's it sounds like it's a movie right in my wheelhouse because I really love musician biopics and of course this yeah. is a fake band you know but it's it's right up in there something that I would enjoy I don't know why I haven't watched it. I see like this is Spinal Tap I think it's the same team that does uh, Best in Show yeah I think does, so. like Christopher Guest and you know that type of film and I think I've talked about this before that. That sensibility of those people involved in those movies is very white people humor, and I tend to not relate to it. Just like okay. we were talking about how much yeah. I relate to like the Apatow universe, mm-hmm. I don't find – like I see the humor in it, but it's like 50%. Like I'm like <laughs> – I kind of think it's funny, but it's not really. <laughs> and, and the thing that I think that trips me out is that there are people that like love that movie. Like mm-hmm. – and those filmmakers, like, you know, that I think it's Christopher Guest, yeah. I think, is the one that's like the genius behind yeah. all of those films. And there's really talented actors and actresses that are involved in those films. But like when you put it all together and you watch it, I'm like, eh. Nah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's kind of like SNL skit, like one scene's like really funny. And then you have to like sit through like a whole bunch uh, of sketches that okay. aren't funny. Yeah. It's sort of like that to me. Like there's like one part that's like hilarious. Then it's like these characters that are just like, it seems like they're having fun making the movie, 
but it's maybe not so much fun for me to watch it. Fair enough. I don't know. That's the way I feel about it. Like I, I see the I see why they're successful. Like I get they're mm-hmm. super talented. I just don't think it's as funny as it's just not me. I'm not their demographic. Right. Let's put it up. Well, it's might be the whole generational thing. So that was like, you know, like made in 84 by maybe a, the generation before us. And with our sensibilities are more geared toward like Judd Apatow films, which are yeah. these of our generation. So it's more the comedy styling is something that we appreciate more. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Good choices. Or um, I think that like another one we talked about was Airplane, which great film, like beyond cult classic. Like um, also, um, what is it called? Police Gun? Is it called Police Gun? No, Naked Gun. Naked Gun, yeah. Yeah, Naked Gun, I used to die as a kid. I love those movies so much. Like Leslie Nielsen, I thought was like so funny and they were so stupid. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember like the scene where they're like practicing safe sex and they're like in full in body. Full. <laughs> <laughs> and that and, was like, like I, I love like silly humor like that that it's like you don't really have to think a lot about it. it's like very slapsticky and yeah like dad humor and punny and, and that was like you can just like watch it on a sunday afternoon and like chill and laugh and mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. that was like pre-murderous oj simpson getting tossed around so that was funny yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, when OJ, when Orenthal James Simpson, that's his name, right? James yeah. Orenthal James, uh, when he was an actor. Yeah. He was <laughs> not a, a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> OJ the thespian. <laughs> I will say, and just to, in closing here, um, and this isn't cult, co- ah, cult comedy, but have you been watching The Simpsons this season? I haven't watched any of it. Their writing has been really top notch this year so far. Like they just. I, I have to get. I I actually really regret that I haven't kept up with The Simpsons because I famously have told everyone that knows me like I hope that never get canceled. I hope that like at seventy, if I'm alive, like I can turn on television and watch The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Like I hope they're always on. I don't want them ever to be canceled. Obviously, like it's going to be hard because the actors are going to die, but. I just I, – I, it's such a comfort for me to watch The Simpsons. I've literally been watching them since I was like in the third grade. Yeah. That's how long they've been on. Mm-hmm. And it brings me so much just comfort and joy to like watch older episodes that like I know what they're going to say. I know the lines. I know the characters. And for whatever reason, I just haven't kept up with them because I've gone on to like other shows um, because there's just so much out there. But – that's one of the things that like I want to get back into is watch newer episodes of the Simpsons. Cause I, I love them. I think it's one of the like smartest, well-written comedy shows mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. And this, this season has been really good. They just did a first this past week. They did the first part of a two part series about uh, Flanders, but it's written like in a Coen brothers style of um, storytelling. So it's really cool. Yeah. yeah it's really cool. Speaking of the Coen brothers, I read this article and then, well, you know, we'll move on. But there's this thing that's been bugging me is that the issue being the Coen brothers and Tim Burton being very popular, right? They're great filmmakers. Mm -hmm. I love their films. However, apparently people have been asking both Tim Burton and the Coen brothers, why are your films nothing but white people? 
And Tim Burton said, and I, and I can't quote him, so this is like filtered through my, you know, <laughs> paraphrased. Yeah, basically said that his aesthetic doesn't fit in with like people of color, hmm. and 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 I was like, ugh, like that's. Oh. Like in Samuel Jackson, I think is the first person of color to be in one of his movies. It was um, Miss Peregrine's School or whatever that movie Mm -hmm. was. And that tripped me out. Like that almost turned me off on Tim Burton because I loved his films. I love his aesthetic. Mm -hmm. I love his like little goth eccentric, you know, vibe. and, And what's sad to me is that so many people of color, I think, like his films and relate to their characters as being like the outcast and like the misfit. And then to not be able to see yourself, like, because you don't fit his aesthetic, like, that's weird. That's weird. Um, And then the Coen brothers said, like, well, we make films. And sometimes when you make a film about, like, the South, it's it's not about the black people or, you know, the Latinos. Well, I'm like, wait, you make movies about, like, the South and don't have black people in it? Like, or you make films about, like, I think, what, Raising Arizona? So you have Mm -hmm. Arizona. There was, like, no indigenous people or... Latino people, I lived in Arizona, like they're everywhere. Um, we're everywhere. And and then they had like weird accents that were like not Arizonian accents. Like, so like you're not really. Maybe that was just Nick accent. Cage not being able to act. I don't know. Well, no, like um, what's her face? Holly Hunter had like her. She has the weirdest accent to begin yeah, with. Does. Like she had a weird accent. And then like their friends had like super weird Southern accent. So it was like, is that a Southern movie or is it a movie based in Arizona? Because that's not. I, wait, what? it wasn't even in Arizona, was it? I think it was in Texas, wasn't it? Right. I think it might have been Texas. I think the baby name was Arizona or they named the baby, the baby yeah, Arizona. I'm, I'm like going off on something that is not even real. <laughs> <laughs> The whole point being, like, though, like, there's black people in Texas, there's Hispanic yeah, people in Texas, too. And the Coen brothers have, like, yet to find a way to integrate their films. Right. Like, that's so weird to me that they're, like, defend, like, instead of just being like, you know what, you're right. Like, I've just worked with this group of actors and I've never really thought about diversity. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. I'm going to work to t- towards trying to integrate different you know, mm-hmm. people from a uh, different diversity dimension into my films, but instead they double down and they're like, Meh, that's just not my aesthetic. <laughs> really? There's no yes. goth Latinos that, you know, or like misfit black people, like mm-hmm. go to like the Afro punk festival in New York and see all the like alternative lifestyle, like punk goth black people there are. And you'll realize that like, there's a lot of us that are into that type of stuff. Like, throw us a bone and like cast us in your movie. Like it doesn't always have to be the woman that you're screwing that you're going to put in the movies, Tim, like (laughs) Elena Bonham Carter or Lisa. (laughs) No, not Lisa Presley. What's her name? Lisa Marie. It's like you managed to fit your girlfriends in the movies. Like, Mm -hmm. is that your aesthetic? Like you have to be able to have sex with someone to be able to put them in your movie. (laughs) It really bugged me. (laughs) It's Let's say on a positive note, the opposite of them would be like the Fairley brothers who are super inclusive with -hmm. their casting and their, and their um, filmmaking choices. So yeah, just to kind of balance it out there. I don't know. Yeah. And I respect them for that. And it makes their movies more interesting. It's not the same old people. Like in it, it, I mean, in a certain respect, I do like filmmakers that have like their go-to actors, 
that they recast in their their movies. But if I see another like Tim Burton, Johnny Depp, like don't I don't want to see that. No one does. Yeah. Let's be honest. We're we're over that. Mm-hmm. It's it's done. That's like in the past. Let's move forward. Get a new actor to work with. There you go. Yeah. I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't think you fit his aesthetic. <laughs> I just have to sleep with him, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sleep your way to the middle. <laughs> well, on that note, everyone, <laughs> we will see you all next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Stay safe.